0: This, this, this show is brought to you by
1: Safety FM. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. And now your host, health and safety specialist, mentor and speaker, Colin Nottage. Crystal, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for coming on the, uh, the podcast. It's going to be really you're great.
2: Welcome.
1: Uh, it's going to be lovely. It's going to be lovely to have a chat with you this evening. Um, hey, just for, for the benefit of the listeners, could you give us a little bit of a background about, about who you are and, uh, you know, what, you, what you're about, what you do?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Crystal Danbury, and I have worked in safety, I think, for this year it's 19 years. Um, and industry-wise, have gone <laughs> nuclear, rail, logistics, rail, telecoms, um, and now retail. And I think the only really sort of salient point about all of that is I've always done it a bit differently. Mm. So in the nuclear industry, I started Frontline, and I was the person climbing stacks and really got, um, really got to know what it was like when management made decisions and didn't talk to people doing the job or that were at risk. Mm. And that's kind of shaped my whole attitude to safety. I sort of made a decision right at the beginning, 19, to say, I'm going I'm to have a health and safety career and I'm going to really care about the people doing the work. Um, so, what I'm about really is making sure people and harm is in the very centre of safety strategy when I work wherever I work, um, which sounds very logical, but sometimes quite often it's missing. How um, have you?
1: sort of get that you know at quite, quite a young age um, you know because you you only look about 24 or 25 now so I was well, about thank four, you. <laughs> four or five years off No, but you know at a young age and that early in your in your career how did you how did you formulate that approach then what did you have some people that were that were really good guides at that point in time or you know what, what was what was the background behind that
0: I think the reality is I didn't really have anybody that was a particularly good guide Um. I was working with 22, 22, guys, all the I think the lowest age was one guy that was about 35. Most of them were in their fifties. And our job was to clean up radioactive spills um, make sure everything was uncontaminated when coming out of labs. It was to respond um, on call if there was an issue in the labs. It was essentially to keep people safe. And the thing that I felt that was very different from me and the rest of the lads was they had a list of tasks. They would go down and say, right, we've done a survey in that lab and it's clean and we tick it. And we've done all these different tasks and they would just tick. And I found that bizarre Mm
2: -hmm. that
0: none of us were talking about the reason the task was on the list. It was just the task. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the first things I did was noticed that people coming in to site were really nervous, as I was when I came in, about it sounds so bizarre. When you work on a nuclear site and you're young and you're not educated on what that really means, if you get a headache, you get paranoid. If you get aches, you get paranoid, and you think, you know, what's happening to my body? And I suddenly realized there was no material for people coming in that were new. All these old guys were here and they totally understood where they were. But for me coming in, I had no guidance that it was okay and I was safe, Um, and so I basically took it upon myself to walk around every single lab and every single process on the whole of this eighteen hundred people site and write down step by step all the processes and everything that happened in that process and all the byproducts and actually the result is that you're safe and these are all the controls and this is how we this is how we take care of people. So when new people came in. I shared that knowledge with them to say, you know, you're going to feel nervous. It's okay. Here are all the processes. Um, And I just thought it was the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, why are we not talking about how people feel when they come to work and how can I help that feeling of fear Um, and that feeling of, am I safe? How can I help mitigate that feeling? Mm -hmm. That was just natural.
1: So that's a, that's a lovely that's a lovely way of thinking about it, you know. Because people, you know, pe- you know, it, it doesn't have to be nuclear. I think just people coming into a new environment are, you know, are, are at, I suppose, a a bit of a disadvantage in, in respect that they don't understand everything that's going on around them. But they're also at a real advantage because they they don't understand everything that's going on around them. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know. Yeah. So so just just going back then, I mean, you know, because you know, doing that exercise of. Um, you know, of, of getting out and looking at all these different tasks, how, how long did that take you?
0: God. I actually don't, because I was doing it more for me. Yeah. I didn't even really time it, but it must have taken me probably a year, just like one by one, because it's not on, on a, in a reactive role like that was, frontline role. Mm. You did the job as it was that day. It was depending on what the engineers needed from you and what the labs needed from you. So it was when you're in that building and your job finishes early, go to the nearest enclosure, see what's in it, and ask the people in the lab, what you know, what the process was and what I was looking at. Wow. Um, so, yeah, a good a good year, probably.
1: Wow. And, and so, I mean, I love, I love that bit, you know, going and asking the people, getting them. So you're really what you're doing is getting them to explain to you what was happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And for yeah. 19 years... I've done exactly that every role i've gone into i go to the person doing that job and i tell i ask them to tell me what it's about what it really is and if i can do the task even better um so always yeah i think the best result i ever had was working for a company and when i got there i realized there was no risk apart from they had a pick and pack operation and I thought, right, well, if that's where their risk is, that's where I'm going. And I pitched up for two days and I worked the full shifts of all the guys on this pick-and-pack line. And my body was in pieces. It re- I was in so much pain. And then looking around, I could see everybody was strapped up, shoulders strapped, elbows strapped, wrist strapped. And I just spent some time in the canteen with the guides, asking what the injuries were, you know, how long had they had them. Some had had several operations. And I was like, right, really, this is horrendously set up and did all the work with the frontline guys. Which station in here hurts less? Let's look at the ergonomics of that best station. What, you know, the one on the end doesn't have any injuries. Right? Let's go and look at that. Um, and spent. I remember spending a whole weekend setting up a faux um, picking line that was adjustable upstairs so I could get all the staff in on a Saturday to run like right if we run it today how efficient are you because you have to realize it's an operation Mm. timed everything turned it into a competition and then changed it all around so it was ergonomically friendly timed them again and they just raced at it and it you know it was sort of 25 percent quicker or something like that Mm. and all the ergonomic issues were out of it we redesigned the entire place Mm. um and I got a massive business case signed up got all from the guys telling me what was going on with them, you have to go front line. You can't do safety without being front
1: line. Mm-hmm. I've just done um, that. Have you seen um, uh, the film The Founder? Which uh,
0: no.
1: okay, so it's um it, it it's basically the story of um, McDonald's the McDonald's <laughs> franchise, mm. and um and and it and it's there's a there's a guy there I can't I can't remember everybody's his name, um but the two the two the two the McDonald brothers that sat up McDonald's okay they did exactly that. Okay, so they and they 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 actually mapped out their, on the floor all of the different stations, and then they got people to practice it and practice it and practice it, and get better and better at it, and um and then then basically systemized everything. And then this other guy came along, and he's a guy that everybody thinks was the founder of McDonald's, wasn't he? He basically took their idea and, and made it big, and then and actually cut them out of the business. It was a it was all a little bit uh it was all a little bit nasty. If if the film that's on Netflix or, or whatever it is is true, and I think yeah. I think it's I think it's quite true, but 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 just a really interesting process, you know, get you know, and getting just getting getting the people to 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 work through what works well, what doesn't, because because people know, do not they? People people know how to do stuff. How, how do you how do you decide how do you decide where to start on something like that? Then you know, because if you've got you know a nuclear plant, it must be you know hundreds of jobs, if not thousands of jobs. You know, how do you, how do you how do you if you if you wanted to do that again. Yeah. How would you go about it?
0: In the in the nuclear um, scenario, I think really interestingly, I would have done exactly what I had done in terms of doing the job endlessly. So my my objective when I was nineteen, I remember it, was to be the best that I could be at my job, and so therefore I wanted to be the one with the answers. So I spent as much time doing as many complex jobs as I could with engineers. And then by the time I was mapping the processes, I understood what I was writing down. Mm -hmm. And in terms of what, so every job I've done this same process, spent time frontline, what's really going on. And i tell you what tends to pull me is the biggest allergic reaction frontline. So I'll give you an example. I work for a telecoms company and I went out on my third ever site visit and I don't do site visit with a clipboard I mean I go out with the engineer and say let me touch it all and we pulled up and there was another van at the side of the road and I went to shake one of the engineers hands and he said to me I'm not shaking your effing hand because um, you can't tell me that this company cares about safety and I'd been there for a month okay. and I was the director of safety and I thought this is, this is really big and I said to him right tell me what's going on Tell me why you feel this way? And he told me a story about having to stand on a defect, basically, for hours and hours and hours, and nobody came to help him, and whatever the process that was in place that was supposed to respond to him, it didn't happen. And it was near a school, and he was visibly upset that this was outside the school and the process had broken. And he said, "I'm supposed to have a number that I can call." To get this fixed so babies don't get hurt. And I got he got like 15 different numbers and loads of different budget lines that made people argue about what to spend and who was meant to, to deal with the defect. And um and I said to him, right, when I come back and I fix this, not only are you going to shake my hand, you're gonna buy me a coffee. And he was like, Yeah, all right, mate. And I went back and I thought to myself, this is. This is the root of culture. When we let people down who care, they feel hurt and they become despondent to safety. And then then what do they tell their people that are around them? They bother calling that number. Don't call that defect in because no one comes. And it spirals from there. So I thought to myself, there are several places that I always start. I always want to know the numbers, right? Safety one, two and different me. All the same thing, right? Just the evolution of knowing that we need to get better. Yep. Um, what's the data? What are the trends? What are we struggling with? And then also, what's that feedback front line? And if there is something that is consistent across all the sites I visit, I focus there because not only is that a harm issue, that's a cultural blocker.
1: Mm-hmm. So you know, to so to find to find that information out, then okay, yeah, you know, to find out you know where where you know just talk us a little bit you know you you, you've recently started in a new role in a new business okay so 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 who who are you talking to who are you spending time talking to to find out where that information is
0: yeah so um new role um in retail i'll I'll tell you what i've done so far um i've baked bread i've done night shifts picking and packing i've loaded vans um, I have, um, walked the floors and done store handovers between night shifts and day shifts. I have, um, cashed up. I have fixed ATMs. Um, what else have I done? Um, oh God, so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually for the first nine weeks, probably every other day, I was doing something practical, mm-hmm. um, and really actually lucky to work for an organization that I'm usually one that asks for it and has to fight for it to say, I really want to spend time front line. And this was part and parcel of what they deemed a good induction. Um, but they, lots of people were quite surprised when I was just like, have you got the, you know, can I have the baker's hat? Can I put the, can I make the bread? Um, so yeah, just as much, as much, as much as possible. And you learn not only from what people say, but you learn from how your body feels after. Because the thing that always is the poor cousin to safety is health. And we impact people's health and safety in everything that we do. Um, And so I also very much listen to my body after those shifts and say, you know, what is that telling me about what that workforce has to do daily?
1: Mm. I I mean, I I love that. I, um, you know, I I think one of the things, you know, when I work for a large organisation, you know, I'm a consultant now, which is, uh, you know, it's it's got its own own opportunities to to help improve. But when I work for a large organisation, You know, spending time spending time out with the people, and actually, was one of the was one of the most rewarding things that I ever I ever that I ever got. And and I suppose I always look back and just wonder, you know, why why we don't why do we don't do more of it? You know, what what is what is the barrier? What is stopping people actually going out and spending time talking to people? Because you get so much out of it when you do it. What what do you think? You know, what
0: oh, I think it's just the way that we we've designed senior roles now. If I'm really honest. we we're sort of slaves to inboxes aren't we mm-hmm. and the multiple channels of communication and the million meetings and actually COVID's made it even worse because you can butt meetings up and literally press end and press join in half a second mm-hmm. um, and and in those back-to-back very important meetings because every meeting is very important mm. do you step away from that computer and learn something new and I think the I have something I always say to my teams, and that is if you've solved a problem in a room without the end user, you've not solved the problem. And very often you can get a whole load of managers in the room that did the job 20 years ago. And they could be like, oh, I did that job. Um, And this is how you fix it. And everyone walks away feeling really proud of themselves. And I think you're not doing that job right now. Therefore, you don't know how it feels. And you don't know if there are changes to technology, systems, the, the layout, the environment. You don't know. Um, so I think there's something around how busy we make ourselves of what is what feels important, but if we spend no time frontline, we're not actually adding any new information or intelligence into our decision making. Mm-hmm. So we need to prioritize that frontline exposure, I think, as, as part and parcel of it's important to my role, like a board meeting is.
1: I think, um, you know, I you know, I really agree with that, and and I. I met a guy called Peter um, uh, a few years ago. A guy called Peter McKee, and he um, he was a CEO of Dupont. Okay, and uh, and he, he 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 became a consultant and and spent lots of time going around the world telling people, you know, the Dupont way. And and there's a lot of people that like it, a lot of people that don't. But one of the things that, that was really that was really impressive with him is he he was just he just spoke to me about about what a day looked like for him. And, and how he would go out to a site, okay, for a meeting at nine o'clock, okay? Yeah. Um, and he would always change the meeting. He would always push it back half hour. And he would always arrive on site half an hour earlier. Okay, this is what he And this is the way that he did And he says, and so what I would do is is my nine o'clock meeting, I push it back half an half hour because everybody was happy with that. You can push the meeting back half an hour and it's not too much of okay. a problem get the site half an hour earlier and that gave me an hour out spending at time out going talking to people and i would go and talk and I, and I wouldn't do it after the meeting because after the meeting there's always another bit of pressure there's always there's always somebody else that wants to that wants my time that wanted to uh, you know that wanted to do this i want to do that or something came out of the meeting so it's always before and i think you know the, the one bit the one bit of advice i'd give to any any person in a, in a managerial or senior managerial position is just, just get out, just get out there and, yeah. and, you know, and, and just spend that hour. An hour is, is, is not that long. It's not that long, you mm-hmm. know, and you will get, you will, it will be the best hour you spend in a day, the best hour you will spend yeah. in a day. Just going out, talking, going out and talking. I think,
0: I think um, I did once with a company called Art of Work, I did a, an appreciative investigation course and I remember sitting in it and um, actually, with quite a few people that seemed blown away by the concept of <laughs> getting out and speaking to people. Mm. And they were talking about proactively investigating safety. And I, I can't tell you how much I perved over this entire session just because I just felt so like it's not just me. It's not just me that's really talking about um, the benefit of this real life reality check of what goes on. And they used some amazing um, examples about um, there was a particular plane, it was a war plane, and loads and loads of pilots, really experienced pilots, kept smashing the landing gear because they were basically two levers looked like each other and they kept moving the lever around in the plane and you would pull it and you would think it was the landing gear and it was something else. And I literally wrote on my piece of paper, talk to pilot. (laughs) right mm-hmm. and then just put a wheel on one and a wing on the other and then make it so that it's really simple it's a five quid fix on a multi-million pound plane yep. and i wrote that on my pad and they were like and then they solved the problem by talking to the pilots mm-hmm. and sticking a wheel on one of the handles mm. that's not complicated no. and the real problem is i think when it comes to safety we over complicate the solution we think it should be really expensive or complex or mechanical or and actually sometimes it's just can you just make that a bit more obvious so mm. i don't so i pick up the right thing yeah. um so yeah i think we overcomplicate it and mm. most of the time the reality check comes from the frontline user that just says if you make that one up like a wheel mate i'll make sure i pull back when i need a wheel there you know mm. magical
1: <laughs> no, brilliant. so how do you um how do you stop then falling into the trap of, of all of a sudden realizing? Oh my God, it's four weeks now since I've been out talking to some people, some real people. Oh, what? What do you? What do you do? What, what What tricks do you use?
0: I think the I think the, none of us are infallible. Mm-hmm. I drop it all the time. Yeah. And um, and I think the thing that keeps me true is when I feel like I've come across a problem. That I haven't touched firsthand, I'm thinking, oh, how long has it been since I've been out then? Or if I'm not quoting in a meeting something that I've heard frontline for quite a, lo- quite a long time, I start to think, hmm, that's a whole lot of my own opinion and not real insight. Now, my opinion is obviously based on 20 years of doing this. Um, so not that it's, inv- it's not invaluable or valuable, but I think the bit that makes it invaluable, sorry, is the frontline context that I'm given um so tools that i use for myself i don't i actually try and do as much of this frontline stuff with open reach cut that out (laughs) in telecoms um i actually booked myself every other week one day in the diary and that that was that and i just did it for forever so i made sure that i really diarized the time here um in retail, I have to go through these buildings all the time. Mm. So actually it's almost, I think it's just polite and etiquette to spend five minutes talking to a manager or somebody that's working on the shop floor just to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the bigger pieces where you can get out and really debate bread and do the picking and packing like I did in my induction, you have to diarize it. That's the mm. that's the solid truth because it will get cut out.
1: Mm. So you, um, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. diarising, you know, is 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 important. And I think you know it's you know, you know, there's lots of there's lots of talk about health and safety being number one priority, and you know, and all that, all that sort of mum, mumbo jumbo. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but, but I do think again, I think there is there is a there is something really small in there, okay. And for me, is is if, if anybody if anybody is listening to this, you know, has got that philosophy that health and safety is number one priority, then then whatever, okay prove it then you know prove it go and spend as much time out talking to people about health and safety in your business as you do about analyzing the accounts as you do about on the sales as you do on the environment or the quality or whatever it may be yeah. go and spend that time out with the people that matter because it's not you know it's not about mm-hmm. doing it in the office it's about doing it out with the people yeah uh, absolutely yeah. There's,
0: you know let's be fair in an office what are you fixing You've mm. got tea coffee points, you've got DSE, mm. you've got fire escapes. Yeah. When you're out in the field, mm. it's endless. Mm. Depending on what tasks your, um, your frontline guys are doing, that, that's the risk. And, you know, you can't fix it in an office on your own. You just can't. Um, and I think I, I love that whole point about many people think that that safety is number one, but is it really? Mm. And actually, that is something I really, everywhere I go, I ask that question, really, where is it on your agendas? Now, I don't believe in this, like, I've seen organisations put safety to the front of the agenda and then no one knows what to say, right? Because it's not what it's about. But how many times do, I see, do you see it at the bottom of the agenda and then it gets bumped because we've run over? Yeah. That's not valuing safety. Mm. And I think there's something about safety culture that it's, it's business culture, really. More mm. than that right up, it's not just about somebody taking a risk on a day. This is about how we're all feeling cared for, and how we all feel like we've had, you know, people have got our backs, and mm. we're all in it for the bigger picture. Mm. This is about us being cared for as individuals at work.
1: So you, um, um there's you're part of a team, okay? And there's uh, the, the way I see it, there's 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's numbers, there's numbers of different teams in organisations. So I'd like to I'd like to, look, to talk to begin with, okay, about the team that 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 work that work with you and you know sort of um and the people that work, work I wouldn't say for you because I hate that term but you know but the people that, that report to you is probably about how how do you go about influencing those people then to to take the right approach the right approach forward in in the workplace?
0: I, I um I had a really magical moment actually very recently a couple of months ago I got um, a cross section of my team together. And I said to them, one of the things that we very we often do in safety is we complicate it, as I mentioned. And I wanted to really look at the activities that we do that don't really give us the impact that we're looking for. So mm-hmm. I'll give you an example, um, not a real life example, let's just say accident investigation, right? Mm-hmm. When something happens, we kind of investigate it and then we just leave it, but it looks okay to the books and we've done, you know, we've done the minimum. What value could you get out of that activity? Well, that activity in its current stance doesn't take care of anybody, doesn't resolve anything, doesn't stop anyone else getting hurt. So that would be a low-impact activity that we want to have a really – we want to get to a really high-impact activity. So I took 15 of my team and took them to an auditorium and gave them headings to look at tasks under. And I made them – because it's not for me to um, tell them what's high-impact and low-impact – gave them the list of tasks and all the hours that we spend on them in our team and I asked them to map them map them on one axis in terms of impact and the top impact is we've absolutely designed risk out and it's amazing and we're going to get there um, and in terms of time it was sort of top end of it was like 15 hours right two hours um two days a month equivalent right yep, yep. so where does it all go and everyone's there with their own list and they're like what what i think impact is this go around, just gently move between the boards, really help them on the definition of impact, really contextualize it if somebody is there and it's their task and they feel really precious about it. And then I got them to draw big fat lines through their boards. And I said everything in the bottom right-hand corner that was low impact and high time, I was going to tell them to stop. Mm. Now, I was never going to do that, Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. What I'm telling them is if it's really important, it should have bigger impact than it has. Mm-hmm. And if it's really important, we probably should be, know how to do it much quicker than we're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then top right was everything that was high time, high impact. How can we reduce the time and get our impact quicker? Yep. And then bottom left was low impact, low time. Mm-hmm. If we've got something we could get really high impact, low time, great. Mm-hmm. All this seen in the safety context, right? All of it's helping people. And then got them all to brief it back, got the not my direct reports to brief back and and own the headings. I got their direct reports. And as we were talking about this impact, I prompted them every time to say, does your process help anyone?
2: Hmm.
0: Does your process protect anyone? Does your process stop anyone getting hurt? Again, or in the first instance, we were having this conversation. And how I basically framed the whole day is people are the center of our profession and it's very easy to forget this mm-hmm. it's very easy to think that law and the regulator is the center of the profession it's not mm-hmm. it's people mm-hmm. and we basically had a big brief back and I asked for some feedback how did it all go and there was quite a lot of silence in the room and of those 15 people a guy called Mark said I actually feel like you're changing the culture of this team right now. I don't think I've ever thought about it in such specific, like we are here for people. And he said, obviously, that's what we're here for. But you're really, really making me think about how I can help people. And it's a slight shift in my primary focus. And lots of people gave the same feedback. And so I think how do I influence people is you have to be really real. And you have to care yourself because if you're fake caring, people see through it, your team see through it. Um, And you have to take them on the journey. And part of that is allowing them to discover the true benefit of people-centric safety. Mm. And they have to discover that on their own terms Mm. because the minute, you know, your job as a leader is not to create followers. Your job as a leader is to create more leaders.
2: Mm.
0: And I want all 15 of those people to go to their teams and be like, Jesus. You know, had an epiphany today, and that might not come in one session. It might come in another. Mm-hmm. But they are self-discovering. They are debating now. People safety, not compliance safety. That's the magic. Mm. Uh, and I do that. I have to say in every conversation, and you'll know this because we do it on the Project Maliti and stuff, right? On <laughs> um, people first in the center, every conversation. Um, so consistency is probably. Um, another thing there that, that my the my moral compass with people's safety is steadfast, doesn't move. Um, and yeah, I've had lots of feedback so far from the new team that they're really excited about the direction. Um, and so I think I'm doing a good job.
1: <laughs> I mean, I love that. I love that. I mean, are you able to um, um are you able to sort of you, you know, maybe just the two or three things that, that they came up with that were the, that, that were the, the most benefit, you know, that, that you're going to push forward with that that maybe they 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 weren't doing before, they're going to do a bit differently, or or or, or more importantly, what are the two or three things that you've decided just to ditch and not do? Oh
0: so the, really, really interesting. So one of the things that we were looking at with tasks was how long we spend doing them. Mm-hmm. There was a particular task. Um that just happened, it was like the 15 hours was just like shot. It was thousands of hours a year. Mm. And it was all around 14,001. Right. Right. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I, I can't tell you. Um, for, people, for people
1: that are listening to this um, and not seeing the video, this um, will, will just shot ahead then. You,
0: yeah. Because <laughs> like, I think the, the interesting thing, the thing that I've learned over the years, right, and I've done to give it some context, right. I've done safety, CSR, security, compliance, um, uh, environment, like anything that's safety and I've done all of those ands. Every time I come across 14,001, do you know the only thing that I really think? It is a standard that imposes its own self and then we pay to make sure that we're monitoring against our own standard rather than having really bigger debates about are you being environmentally conscious? Mm-hmm. Are you driving for better? I've gone in behind 18, what was back then, 18,000. Um, it was ISO 18,001, wasn't it, back in yep. the day. Yep. And we had a pass on a site, this is years ago, mm. flying colors, everyone's happy. And I went to do an audit the next day, it was already scheduled. The trash I found, mm. um, risk assessments all pointing to each other, no content anywhere. The standards don't help anyone mm-hmm. unless they want to be helped. You can get around a certification. So my team didn't know this, right? In, in my logistics area of my team, we're like, well, we have to maintain 14,000 in one. And I was like, well, that's paper. And we're spending, you know, 9,000 hours or something on this piece of paper. First project, guys, one of you needs to pick it up. Who wants to own it? Because we definitely need an environmental management system. Fine. We don't need 14,001 unless a, it's a customer requirement or whatever, fine. But we're going after that, that thousands of hours that you spend busting your butt to maintain a piece of paper. If it's not required, it goes in the bin. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: and so that was an example of everyone just sort of going, yay, <laughs> this pointless piece of paper that we hate mm-hmm. um, and that causes massive ache. And you know, the organization paid to maintain it. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's something that's being massively challenged now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But just, you know, even simple things like looking at how you can automate um, small checks, things like that. Yeah, just anything like that. Mm -hmm. Investigation, I will say, not, not specifically here, but everywhere I go, I always come with fire and a fine tooth comb to find out what we're doing on investigation and the reason is you can become really copy and paste Mm -hmm. especially in a massive organization very easy copy and paste that copy and paste doesn't help anybody Mm -hmm. um other than if it went to court you could handle a piece of paper it looks good Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. my point is if we don't hurt anyone no one goes to court So should we just focus there yeah Mm -hmm. um so absolute investigation is something about right how good at root cause are we let's dig into it and on the day, the really lovely thing is you end up with more questions than answers. We mm-hmm. actually don't know the impact of this. We don't know how big a deal this is. We just sort of do it blindly. Cool. Let's pick it up. Let's do a project. Let's really suss out the impact. And if oh. it's good, we keep it. And if it's not, we don't.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. Hopefully, hopefully it's not too challenging, but um um it'll be interesting to see. So um so we've spoken about your the team that report to you. Yep. What about, what about the, the, uh, the, the, the C-suite, the guy, the, you know, the top, the, the top, the top knobs in the, uh, in the organization. Yeah. How do you, do? You, I mean, could you go, could you go with exactly the same approach into that boardroom and say, you know, right then, you know, what are we, what are we wasting our time doing and what are, you know, what are the, do you do the same thing or do you take a slightly different approach? Tell me about that.
0: Um, so really interestingly, I take pretty much the same approach. And, um, and what I have always found is if you have a very honest conversation, so C-suite are accountable for a whole lot of things and they don't need to have their mind on, on safety specifically, right? They're running a whole organization. What they need to do is say, is she good? Is she doing her job? And is she, is she nailing it good? I feel comfortable, right? Cause I also need the autonomy to do my job.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you walk into that room and I've had this, my last role was amazing at this. You know, you're, you're required to come to this very big meeting and they need you to go through the safety report and tell them all the things good and bad. And that's what rags are for. And I had a guy cut through, I started like three sentences in and he was just like, do you know what? I don't care. I'll read the report. What do you actually think? And I am God's honest truth every time. Mm-hmm. and what I said to them was you're compliance driven mm-hmm. and most organizations especially in heavy industry are because it's, it's almost natural progression um, you're massively compliance driven um, we waste an awful lot of money doing uh, time and money doing things that we really need to do my focus was making sure that we reduce harm and people are in the center but everything that wastes our time so we can't dig into that harm everything that's surplus to requirement will cut away. And I, I have to say, C suites, very healthy conversations about being pragmatic with resource. And it's not very often in this world, in this time, that you can grow teams. So being more ruthless with the stuff that we do by default, I find people there's pretty much an open door and open convo around that.
1: And I think, you know, I mean I think you cover you you touched on something really important there. You know, if you've got if you've got a team of 10. Mm-hmm. And um and uh, you know and you're able to, to to free their to free their time up to spend ten percent of their time doing doing more important stuff. You've you've actually got a team of eleven, haven't you? You know what I mean? You know, hundred percent, uh, you know, yeah. or if not more. You know what yeah. I mean? And and all of a sudden, you know that that is. So so going back then to the to the things then that the senior you know you you can take out of the at, at a senior level then mm-hmm. you know what what sort what sort of things. Would you be able to remove them from the from the way that a business runs to make it more to make it more people focused, more you know people centric?
0: Yeah, I think some of it is definitely around um, automation, the front end. So there's there's two ways to look at this, isn't there? Management system, right? So for everyone, if you are listening, please don't yawn, right? <laughs> the management system, and I've said this to loads of people before. It's not there right. for Sorry, people. I
1: fell asleep myself then. <laughs> go on, go on, no, go on. Like, <laughs> what it's you, not
0: what there were there you saying? We pretend, <laughs> we pretend that every person in our organisation, if you said, how hey, you manage cost," And they'd be like, oh, if you've seen the safety management system, you see there's a, it's nonsense, right? It's <laughs> absolute garbage. That thing is there for the regulator. That is supposed to document how we live. Mm. And that if the regulator needs to come and be able to ask a couple of questions, that's their Bible. Come and quiz us on what we actually do, right? So there's the in-practice part about simplistic policy, simplistic process, because no one's reading the paper, by the way. I don't think I've ever been on a site that said, oh, I'm just about to put the fryer on. Let me get the the sop Uh, to just go over that. Garbage, right? Doesn't happen. Um, So simplify your paper, because you have to order all of that stuff. Mm. You want it to be on time. You want it to be um, up to date. Just simplify it. And then also when you come to do that mandatory review it doesn't take months Mm. it's literally a case of are we pretty much identifying our hazards and are we controlling them call move on Mm -hmm. um and then moving away from the paper side the practical side when it comes to accidents what systems are you using for your data have you got somebody manually every single month spending days and days putting together reports from excel Mm. if so probably invest in a system that will pump out that report for you. Mm -hmm. Hire someone wonderfully intelligent to investigate proper trend, not just pull together the report. I'd rather have one person with a great system that can pull data and get data science on it Mm -hmm. and just say, I found loads of stuff than somebody that said, I've spent five days this week putting together your safety matters report. Here you go. Mm -hmm. What a waste of life. Um, And then... The other, the, other, the other simplification area is, when you have your accident, very, very often, the way that we deal with the accident from reporting it, the paper, the phone calls, it's very elongated, right? Are you equipping your frontline to do decent investigation? Because they're the mm-hmm. nearest, they're with Joe when they fall over. Mm-hmm. How are you equipping the operation to really dig in and ask great questions at the beginning? Mm-hmm rather than having a really extended team that have to go out and mop um so yeah automated reporting better systems simplified paper mm-hmm. better training
1: yeah mm-hmm. no i think that's a i think that's a really great point and and and, and none of this has to be ridiculously expensive mm-hmm. i think that's the thing and you know you can do a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here just by you know very 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 easily you know and uh you know, I mean, one one of the things I can remember, I uh, you know, I I did when I when I worked for for a large organisation was was we had a you know people were always coming up with ideas. People always were coming up with ideas of how they could how they could simplify things and make things better, and um, and we always said, okay, if you are going to put this in, okay, it's absolutely no problem, but we've got to take something out. So what is it that we're going to take out to get this in? You know, and 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 so what it did is it just it just continually meant that we were improving because because they were actually thinking about where it fitted in. And what and what it, what it need you know what do we needed to 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 remove because yeah. you know let's not add anything in we can't we can't have a new we can't have a new process we can't have a new form okay what we've got to do is we've got to work around we've got to work around we've already got to make it better. yeah
2: and
1: that and that works well, well i don't know I, I'd, I like to, I'd like to think it works
0: yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet it absolutely does mm. i think you you prompted a thought in my mind here about um one of the things about having that team of 10 so use that is you've actually got the team size that you have for safety is however many FT your entire organization has.
2: Because
0: mm-hmm. everybody has an ability to investigate, give insight, give information on just what, just what work looks like, what, accident, what really happens and what would lead to a typical accident. Especially if there's a trend and loads of people have the same type of thing. You have, you have tons of people, everyone that's ever had that accident. Can give you something
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and in telecoms everyone thought I was mental I said to them right pick pick a trend and it was like slip strips and falls
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we had loads of you know we had 26,000 engineers outside and they were just like well we just I don't I don't like complacency with harm either it bothers me massively okay but we just were outside yeah you just it's gonna happen I said well that's not that's not good enough right? Until I know that we've got to the bottom of that barrel of possibility, because there's no such thing as zero harm, right? Because you can't switch the rain off. Okay. Um, I, want, I want a group of people that have had this accident, if they're happy to come forward, to come and sit in a room with us, and to just talk us through these accidents. Like, put something off the board that's not their accident, but it's the similar one, and just say, like, how would this even happen in the day? Like, what, what does that day look like? What, mm. And you learn then about, actually, that type of job you have to really rush, or we got rid of a tool in like 1999 that we never got back, and we've had to sort of bastardise the process from there. And you get all this rich info. And out of this room, we got this problem, which was there are hazards everywhere that are hidden that we can't tell our next engineer about a sinkhole as an example, right? In a field, yep, yeah. hole in the middle of a field, sinkhole in the field. How do we tell the next engineer that that's there? Well, with, how? Mm. And it was, we walked away with that problem. And I said to all of them, I'm going to have a meeting with what three words, mm. right? I'm going, to G, I'm going to talk about geotagging, permanent hazards, so that when somebody turns up, it's on their job note. And everyone just like, oh. We never would have had that conversation if it wasn't for an engineer in this room just being like, oh, we have that all the time. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know. So I think investigation, don't just investigate that the incident that happened now. Grab your trends, mm-hmm. grab the target audience of that trend, jam them together and just see what you get.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that. I've just done um, I've just had a really some really amazing conversations with some people. And and it's it's really based around around three or four really really simple questions and and we just sat down with with some guys on a, on 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 a number of sites across the UK and just said you know tell us what what does a good day look like you know talk to us about what does a good day look like what does a challenging day look like
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and where do you where do you spend most of your time do you spend most of your time in a good day or a challenging day you know and then and then we just so what frust- what really frustrates you and those those questions are just simple simple questions but oh my god the stuff that comes out you know and there's there's loads of other there's loads of other questions you could tag on there's those other bits and pieces but if you're looking for you know if you're looking to really really find out you know what business is about you can't go far wrong just by asking those those few really simple questions but the, the gold that comes out of it it's just lovely it's lovely oh
0: it's magic yeah absolutely yeah,
1: mm, yeah. absolutely absolutely so um you know so so you know from you from your perspective then what what really excites you then about uh, about the health and safety role then you know and it might and it might be more than just health and safety that you do but what, what really excites you
0: um I, I i have to say the the job itself um in the way that i feel safety is like in, in my version of safety i would say i find it I think it's the most epic job you could ever have. Like, I get to investigate an entire and learn an entire business. No area of it is not in my lane. Mm. And I get to help every type of role and person and individual in that organization. And I get to advocate for them. I get to learn. Um, And I just think that's probably the best thing you could ever do. And what excites me is. When you find that, when you find that trend that's hurting everybody, that thing, that gets me going. And I'm like, right, okay, this is hurting people. I want everybody home. I want everybody home safe, well, healthy, or as healthy as they came in anyway, right? And when you hit that nail, like telecoms now, that telecoms company now has a geotagging, what three words, whole process. It's now helping them find defects everywhere. That's going to help people. That that makes me feel elated mm. that I've changed something, or I've encouraged an entire team to get inquisitive to the point they've changed something permanently to stop somebody getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, it means I'm doing absolutely the right job. Right? I was once told be prepared to do like four professions. I started out at 19 before I worked on that nuclear site. I made pizzas for Domino and I was a cleaner. Mm. Um, And I had absolutely barely a couple of pennies to my name, but I busted my butt. Mm. And I fell into this amazing world where I get to make it better. Uh, And I can't think of anything I'd ever do that's Mm. other than this. And I think... It's the culture part for me. All of it really is about culture. The minute you have people in the centre and you've got care for individuals in everything that you're doing, you're changing the culture of an organisation. And when you can see that culture change, that's me lit. I'm the happiest that I can be.
1: How much of your time then? Because you, just, you know, you've 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 progressed through a number of different um different businesses and different organisations and different uh, you know they have they have different different pressures and, and different risk and all that but you're now working in an organization that, that that hasn't just got employees that are at risk you know you you deal with members of the public okay yeah how much of your and, and you might not be able to put a figure to this but but how much of your time do you spend thinking about your employees and how much of your time do you think do you spend thinking about members of the public do you even split them are they all combined yeah. you know how, how how do you go how do you go about interacting with something that you've got very very i wouldn't say very little control over but not and the control might be the wrong word as well but little influence over maybe yeah. well uh, i mean
0: the same challenge and um, when i worked in rail it was the same challenge about something really simple you can't stop people running for a train mm-hmm. and you can't stop people running for train and heels Right. Um, hmm. And so, there's always going to be an element of, like you say, you, you can't. I've, I've
1: always broken my heels.
0: Educate, yeah, for sure. Like <laughs> yeah. you do. Yeah. I'm a pumps girl. Um, I I actually spend very little time differentiating um, verbally. I talk about harm, mm-hmm. um, and I always want to see the split between members of the public that we're hurting, um, and and actually think pretty much other than other than the logistics role really and the nuclear role rail for example is very hybrid we've got stations with shops and you know people come in their staff there and the same sort of scenario now um so i'm more about the environment that our people are in and our customer all at the same time really how much harm is caused in that environment what can we do what can we learn um and so, yeah, not much time spent differentiating them. I think about harm more. And when I say, "Give me the stats," like I want somebody to really shock me with the discovery. Um, that's my sort of knee rub day when we found something that we can really grab and dig into. Um, if it was a customer stat or a, an employee stat, it wouldn't make any difference. If we found something that we can grab into, we do.
1: Ah, mm-hmm. oh, brilliant. Okay, okay. But um, do you? Do you have to influence members of the public in a different way then to, to, to employees? I mean, is that, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, how, you, how do you control measures, do, do control measures look different?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a great question, actually. And I suppose as you, as you were saying it, my brain was already kind of blurting out, you have to really engineer um, safety when you are offering... You know, when, when you're inviting members of the public into your, into your safe space, mm-hmm. you really have to think about the engineering of that environment because there's not much influencing that you can do. You can't have a toolbox talk or you can't put a stat out. Mm-hmm. You, re- you really have to engineer that space to be as safe as it possibly can be mm-hmm. um, and make choices to make something safer based off cold stats.
2: Mm-hmm. Very,
0: not very often do you get to sit down with a group of customers and say, how are you hurt? Um, and so it's much easier with employees because I can go and spend time. And not only that, if there is a trend that says, in shops, we have a typical type of accident, I can roll up in 50 of those places mm. and mirror that role and really think about what that looks like and how uniform it is. And is it specific to a type of location, store, convenience or whatever? or is it the role, or is it the task? You can spend time and investigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your controls and your changes could be anything from training, equipment change, um, could be anything. Whereas with members of the public, you really have to think about proactively changing something on their behalf with less of the information. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a tricky one, but I would say stuff that I've seen so far, um, they really do they really do do that it, mm. i mean stations are a really good idea um, a really good example your really big london stations will have terrazzo flooring and most of them have textured tops mm-hmm. i can't tell you the amount of horrendous injuries that i saw people slipping over in the rain on terrazzo flooring in rail mm. um and then suddenly people started saying they'd found this sort of textured layer to go on top of it and engineering away mm. the issue
1: True, sure, yeah mm do you, um you know i mean you, you said you said right at the beginning about the the importance of um of of going out and, and baking the bread and, and and doing these roles that the, the employees are doing um what about i mean you know what about spending the time with the with the customer and going and asking them and talking to them is that something that as as a business that you that you that you do or you know how to, how to, and how does that and your team how does that what does that look like
0: yeah, I mean um it, it's really interesting actually there is an awful as you can imagine when you're a customer driven in your when you're in a customer driven industry there has to be major tap ins mm-hmm. um to the customer whether it's with customer satisfaction surveys listening groups um and i have to say the retail sector has been way more um probably advanced in that listening mm-hmm. and really sitting down with um real customers, people that are with us all the time, only sporadically, and really saying what's the difference? Mm. Um when working in rail, it, we had a customer satisfaction survey which was sort of one old guy waiting outside of a couple of stations in the winter asking yeah. people to fill in a survey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so I I definitely think the retail sector is way more advanced in this. Mm. Um, and there is a hell of a lot of listening that goes on. Uh, and actually, I've sat and witnessed customers coming in and telling us how they feel about COVID controls and how amazing they think it's been, and how people have actually switched um, to us yep. well, as a shop. result of uh, yeah. COVID controls. It's this right. magic.
1: That is that is amazing. And I think you know, you know, I suppose one of the things looking at other organisations and other businesses, it's it becomes really important to. To look at the other people that are coming into your organisation, so you know not just necessary customers, but people that are, that are delivering goods or taking goods away, or contractors that are working, and just getting getting all those people in the in in the mix, you know, and and how do you know, you know, what does it what does it feel like, you know, you're a contractor that's coming to work on a site, what is it what does it feel like to walk through that door? Do you do you feel do you feel important? Do you feel you know that people are going through emotions? You know, what is it what is it like? And if you yeah. if you can get people that that are actually in the mornings are actually thinking, oh wow, I'm going to work in a crystals business today. I really can't wait to get in there because I know that we're going to be looked after. Yeah. Then that'll be that's really special, isn't it?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, mean, it. I think um, the the whole thing about supply chain and contractors is such an interesting one. Um, and I remember being sat in a meeting in my last role, and there been a really nasty accent not to not to one of ours, but I care about them. I always think if somebody's had an accident as a result of carrying out something for us, Mm -hmm. it's the same for me. Um, And I spoke to the safety director of this other company and I said, I I really, really want to stay close to this investigation. It's yours. I really want to know the outcome. I want to know how the guy is doing. Um, And I really want to know how, what you're changing, if anything needs to change because really freak things do happen. But if you've learned something, I'd really like to know what you're doing with that lesson and invited them, the safety, basically the, the safety team, in for a coffee with us to say, right, talk us through your process, talk us through your investigation, talk us through your lessons. And it was so interesting. I mean, they rolled up with their CEO and all sorts. Um, and in it, I, I couldn't care about anything other than there is an individual that's very hurt. And I wanna know what we've, what, I think it's like a moral imperative if you've hurt somebody to learn something from it. Um, And we sat there and they'd gone through all their controls, all their paper, all their risk assessments. And I'd said to them, okay, what do you think the biggest issue was with what happened on the day? And they said, oh, it was that we couldn't get any Medicare to them because they were in the sticks. I said, right, of everything that you've showed me today, tell me where that's featured. Tell me where you've changed something about really raw work and everybody sort of sat back and I said, right, you forgot that it's the guy that we're protecting. It's not the paper, right? And then there was just this quiet in the room I said, right, until we've got something that deals with the terrible stuff that happened on the day, we haven't fixed it. Mm. And they went away. They did some great work, right? But I felt like in the room together, I was helping them be a better team as well. And I don't mind who does the prompting and who gets it wrong, who gets it right as long as the end result is we change something good.
1: I love that. I really love that. You know, it is, I mean, it's, you know, it, you know, stuff, stuff does happen, you know, and we, and we, and we, we, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be frightened or afraid of that. Obviously we don't want it to happen, yeah. but it does. And, 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 and it's a fantastic learning opportunity to, to yeah. make, you know, and, and so we need to be doing everything. In our business we need to be doing everything we possibly can you know just to, to 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 stop the the lack of learning <laughs> you know i've said that all wrong but you know but it's you yeah. know it, it's you know it really you know we just got to, everything needs to be about learning i feel you know all the time because you know we just become better individuals become better people if we if we if we're continually learning yeah well
0: i think it, that i mean that is the antithesis of our role right Mm. is we are supposed to I, I never my my mentor for years was called Chris Clark Clarkie still drink with him now and he said to me as I went for my first senior role he said Bromers which is my nickname um Bromers what was that was Bromers. Bromers so my, my maiden name is Bromwich right so my okay. beer name is Bromers
1: right <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: and I remember I was leaving and he said right Brommers, I've got one thing to tell you and that is please remember your job is not to fix it your job is to advise people on risk and also to enable people to fix it
2: yeah.
0: and I thought I thought my job was to fix it like in that moment going into that senior role I thought my job was to fix it and he basically switched my head going in and I thought to myself if my job is to advise primary to that I have to listen to everything possible otherwise I'm giving in advice uh, if you're not learning anything, like you say, if you're not taking it in and taking in as many lessons as you can, your advice will become stagnant and outdated, and yeah. it will become irrelevant.
1: No, it's uh, no, it's it's so uh, so important that that's uh, I love it, love it. Um, you, so, what's what, um, you know, what have you got? Anything exciting that you're you're working on at the moment, then, or any uh, you know any any initiatives or any ideas that you're you're, you're able to talk about? <laughs> yeah.
0: I I think at four months in, it's it's still all about that learning phase. Actually, what are we doing that's wasting time? What Mm. are we doing that's only half masked? How can we push our impact um, in a better way? How can we utilize our time in a better way um, to make sure we're really digging into the root cause of harm? Mm. And so that will be for me. Like my team will literally probably like robots in a year. Like it's about the root cause of harm. That is what's gonna Mm-hmm. end up swelling out of them because that's the mission right now is what's our impact where do we want to get that to mm-hmm. so that we can see in five years time all that harm that every organization causes it's not about the harm here it's about harm everywhere the harm is reduced mm-hmm. um, so yeah definitely still in the learning phase right now oh, wonderful
1: it's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you you know thank you thank you ever so much for your time um how can how can people get hold of you if they uh if they want to uh they want to you know follow up on anything they've they've listened to
0: lovely uh so i mean I, i'm on linkedin so you can definitely get me on linkedin um or i've got a website crystal and uh, you can contact me through that
1: Brilliant. Okay. Well, I didn't realise you had a website. I'm going to have to check that out.
0: it's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit outdated, so uh, but, um, you can definitely contact me through
1: that. No, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you. Cheers, Colin. Cheers.